All right, thank you very much. Let's pray. God, our Father, give us confidence this morning in the power of your covenant relationship with us. Grant us clarity in understanding, proclaiming, and living out the truths you share with us in and through this relationship so that we may possess and express a deeper love for you and for one another. Finally, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen? Well, let me start off by saying it's very good to be back uh, here with you all. I did not know that I would be back here this, this <laughs> soon, um, but I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I'm also grateful for um, your confidence in me. So about four weeks ago, Jeff called to ask if I would be willing to preach today um, as he was going to be out of town. But instead of focusing on a particular scripture, he said that we would be embarking upon a series on worship. Uh, Two weeks ago on Stewardship Sunday, he challenged us to consider what we worship in relation to stewarding God's church here at St. Andrews. And then last week he began the series by reminding us that worship is covenant renewal. And this week he's asked that we consider the role of honesty, honesty in that covenant relationship. Well, if I'm being honest, I'll say that these last three weeks uh, have, have found the opportunity for me to do a little bit more soul searching than is typical. I don't know that I ever really considered the role that worship plays in my life outside of worship. Maybe you, judging from some laughter, maybe you feel the same way. So with our time together this morning, um, I'm going to try something a little different. I know in the past we look at a text, and I'm I'm an old English teacher, but today what I thought we would do is, uh, in the attempt to, to confront honesty in worship, that we would look at three questions. The first is, what do we worship? The second is, why do we worship? And then the third is, how do we worship? So question number one, what do we worship? So um, in Jeff's Stewardship Sunday challenge, a few weeks ago I mentioned this, and then last week touched briefly on this idea, but I thought under the auspices of this conversation about honesty, we might dig a little deeper. Uh, So there's a theologian named G.K. Beale who has written a book, uh, it's a very interesting book, called We Become What We Worship. We Become What We Worship. And if I'm being honest, you're going to hear me say that phrase a lot this morning, if I'm being honest, Beale's thesis is hard for me uh, to read, certainly in the context of this sermon series, but also in the context of my own life. So here it is. The thesis is, what people revere, they resemble. What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. So in his book, Beale traces this thesis throughout Scripture to show that we are worshipers. And Jeff has said this. And that's part of the reason why we are in this series. We are worshipers, and our worship exposes us and changes us. We either revere the world and are conformed to its sinful patterns, or we revere God 
and are conformed to his likeness. What we revere, we resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. We become what we worship. So hold on to that. So if we're going to have a meaningful conversation this morning about honesty in worship, let's start by taking up this thesis and be honest about what we worship. If we are worshipers, as Jeff argues, and if our worship exposes us and changes us, what are we worshiping? And how is that worship, how is that worship changing us? Simply put, do we revere the world and its sinful patterns, or do we revere God? That's a hard question for me. That's a hard question for me. So while beliefs can vary among individuals and denominations within the Reformed tradition, here are my top five examples of what we as Presbyterians might cite as the world's sinful patterns. They're my top five because if I'm being honest, there's that phrase again, I can admit that I too often conform to them. So you see them on the screen. Now I'm going to give you the fancy definitions. Number one, unbelief. Failing to believe in and trust in God, rejecting or doubting the teachings of Scripture and the gospel message. Unbelief. Check. Number two, idolatry. Elevating anything or anyone above God, including material possessions, fame, Politicians or political ideologies or professional success or accomplishment. We need only look at what is happening in our own country and what is happening in the Middle East to see the reality of this temptation of the world. Check. Number three, covenant breaking. Failing to uphold my commitments and obligations in my covenant relationship with God, including neglecting prayer, not attending church, living in accordance with Christian principles. Check. Let, let me just give you a little insight into the life of Mark Carlton. I love LSU football. <laughs> I will never break the covenant that is LSU football on a Saturday evening. Just ask my long-suffering wife, Laurel, we work our lives around LSU. I have a friend that Laurel doesn't even know with whom I text during LSU football games. She's never met him. I would never break that covenant. Never. Easy for me to miss church. Easy for me not to pray. Easy for me not to put my cares in front of the Lord. Covenant breaking. Number four, pride. An inordinate admiration of myself, leading to an inflated sense of my own importance, abilities, or achievements, which ultimately leads me away from humility before God. I don't think you need to know that I can double-check that one. And then finally, neglecting mercy and justice, or failing to show compassion or seek justice for the oppressed and marginalized around me. These are my top five. So back to Beale's point, our worship our affections and our relationships right now, right now, are pointers to a future trajectory. Our worship is either aimed at our ruin or aimed at our restoration. But it is aimed in either case. We are becoming what we worship. 
So, if I'm being honest, I must admit that the process of redirecting my worship, my affections, and my relationships away from the world and toward God's image in Jesus, which is at the heart of this first scripture today, is a challenge for me. It's a challenge. So let's consider Philippians 4, 4 through 9, in the context of what we worship. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Do we worship the world? Or do we worship this image of God in Christ Jesus? Are we becoming what we worship? Question two. Why do we worship? Now, I'm just going to prepare you. There's going to be a little bit of a stretch here. All right? So just stay, stay with me, okay? Why do we worship? So relationship, relationship, relationship. I, I have heard this from Jeff now for the last two or three weeks. And I keep running into that word with respect to worship. Uh, and then we add the idea of a covenant to that, to that word relationship. And it really takes things up a notch, right? Not, only like a, not unlike a marriage, this covenant relationship we have with God in worship demands honesty. And honesty demands some things in return. So... This connection between covenant of marriage and the covenant we have with God has always interested me, but I don't think I ever connected it to worship. Again, if I'm being really honest, all this talk of honesty in relationships and marriage and covenants makes me think of date night. Don't you, weren't you thinking you were coming this morning to hear about date night, right? So date night is, for those of you who may not be aware, it's the concept of a married couple devoting, devoting time for themselves, away from children if they have them, away from work, worries, and responsibilities in an effort to stay together, to stay happy, to stay connected, and to stay committed. Because relationships are hard, and covenant relationships, like marriage, are the hardest. So, full disclosure, uh, when Laurel and I were engaged and getting ready for our wedding almost 30 years ago, can you believe that? Can you believe that Laurel would be with me for 30 years, right? The pastor who led us through our premarital counseling made a big deal. He actually made a big deal about the importance of regular date night for our future marriage. And back then, we both kind of shrugged and thought that that was kind of ridiculous. Of course, we would find time to date each other, right? One person knows what I'm about to say, right? But then... We got married. We, we worked together in boarding school for a while. Sidebar, working in boarding school is a great opportunity for natural family planning. You don't want to have children when you live with adolescents in boarding school. Then our careers got going. Then our kids were born. Then work and family responsibilities 
began to crowd out everything else, and regular time together began to take a backseat. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar in terms of your relationship with worship? Well, we both thought that it would get easier to go on more dates as our kids got older, right? You know, we have two children, and we thought we had a built-in babysitter for Richard when Camille was in high school, but it was still hard to find the energy and time to make regular date night a priority. So I thought maybe I'd get you to raise your hand if this felt familiar to you, but then I thought that would probably not be good. (laughs) So uh, just in your mind, be thinking about whether that makes sense. And if you were going to raise your hand, take heart, because of course you're not alone, according to a new report from the National Marriage Project. In a survey called The Date Night Opportunity, 2,000 married men and women aged 18 to 55 in the United States were questioned about their dating frequency. Over half, 52%, reported that they never or very rarely went on dates, leaving only 48% reporting regular date nights. That's defined as, are you listening, at least once or twice a month, right? So once or twice a month. So first slide, the data from the report indicate that regularly dating your spouse is actually linked to a happier marriage. Yep, husbands and wives who had frequent date nights were 14 to 15 percentage points more likely to report being very happy in their marriages. All right, that's not enough for you. Second slide, regular date night also seems to boost marital stability. Wives and husbands who had frequent date nights were 14 percentage points more likely to say that divorce was not at all likely in the future. Stability. Number three, husbands and wives who reported more frequent date nights were significantly more likely to say that they're very happy with how they communicate in their marriages. Better communication. And then finally, nearly three out of four couples who reported frequent date nights also reported being highly committed to their relationships. In other words, going on regular dates seems also to boost commitment to their marriages. Once or twice a month, once or twice a month, 14 to 15 percentage points higher in these categories. Here's a quote from the study. Date nights may solidify an expectation of commitment among couples by fostering a sense of togetherness, by allowing partners to signal to one another, as well as to friends and family, that they take their relationship seriously. This date is a signal that we take our relationship seriously. Okay, get to the point, right? (laughs) Enough about date night. What does this have to do with anything? Well, here's my point. If the only reason why we worship is to experience some sort of glorified date night with God, then according to this research, we should reasonably expect that our relationship with God would be happier, more stable, and characterized by better communication and deeper commitment. Being intentional and honest about making time in a relationship strengthens and lengthens the relationship. Are you listening? How about that? But of course, the reasons why we worship 
are much more profound and significant and lasting and eternal than the reasons for date night, right? In our weekly worship services, we renew the baptismal promises we make to God, and we hear again the promises God has made and kept in Christ for us. Promises like, I'm your strength, I'll never leave you, I hear your prayers, I'll fight for you, I give you peace, I will always love you. So how will we respond to these promises? So here's the second scripture to consider, which we've heard already this morning. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Why do we worship? This passage from the Psalms doesn't sound like date night to me. It sounds like a covenant renewal service. It sounds like an opportunity to renew our most sacred and important vows with God, not once or twice a month, but every week. All right, question three, how do we worship? So we've been honest about what and why, so let's ask ourselves this third question. Uh, It's also suggested by the psalm that we just read. Do we experience worship as an authentic promise exchange between ourselves and God, Is it a deeply relational activity in which we are listeners? Yes, but also speakers, promise receivers, promise givers? Or are we passive receivers only in a one-sided experience we might even call religiotainment? So I had a good friend of mine um, when we lived in Georgia. There were two opportunities for worship at the Methodist church that we belong to there. Uh, This was sort of at the beginnings of contemporary worship. And so there was traditional worship, there was contemporary worship, and uh, his kids were in high school, and so they went to contemporary worship, which he called Happy Clappy. And um, I will say, he felt like very much, he was a little bit older, right? The music was not what he was hoping for. And I would would look at him and I would would think, gosh, he's, he's not really participating that much. But over time, over time, I would notice that he was a little happier and clapping a little bit more in every service, right? So how do we worship? Is it one-sided? So relationship depend, or relationships depend on honest communication. So the good news of our relationship with God is that there is room for this honesty in our worship. In fact, weekly worship here is structured to facilitate that honest communication. Did you consider that? I had not considered that. It's structured for honest communication. Okay, think about the most important and honest human relationships in your lives. Now, think about your own experiences of communication within these relationships. Are you thinking about that? 
So I'm sure that words like listening, praise, gratitude come to mind when we think about our human relationships and our communication. But what about words like confession, lament, intercession? These are all characteristics of honest communication in our human relationships, right? Here's here's some examples. Hey, Kelly Lewis, she's not here. I wish she were here. I can't even imagine how busy the last few years have been for you. I'd love to take some time to listen to how I might be able to help you moving forward. Listening. Human relationship. We listen. Hey, Camille, that's my daughter's name. You really are handling your second year of college so well. I'm proud of the adult you're becoming. Praise in human relationships. Hey, Jeff, I'm so grateful for your thoughtful leadership of this faith community. I'm growing in my relationship with God because of your challenges and support. Gratitude. Hey, Laurel, I'm sorry for being on edge for the last, wait, how long have we been married? (laughs) I'm going to do better with your help. Well, that's confession, lament, and intercession all in one, right? Human, honest communication. These are a gift. Communication in human relationships is a gift. So returning to the scripture, uh, the structure, I'm sorry, of our worship services here, we see that there are multiple opportunities for this kind of covenant conversation with God as well. And, And God has given us the gift of prayer. We heard Brenton talk so beautifully about that to the children this morning that can facilitate those conversations as well. In the end, how we worship is tied inextricably, I think, to how we pray. And honesty in our prayers certainly presents itself in our prayers in worship as well. But they have to be honest uh, to occur after worship, not just during, right? So how does God want us to pray? To be sure, our discussion of the structure of worship sheds light on this. Today, when you leave, take the bulletin with you and look at how the worship service is structured and the opportunities for honest communication with God are are built in there. But our final scripture this morning gives us some insight as well. Here's 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. Every week in worship, every day in prayer, we receive an invitation to be in covenant relationship with God. And if we can be honest in that worship and in that prayer, if we can humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, he will lift us up. He will lift us up because he cares for us. So what do we worship? We worship a mighty God. Why do we worship? Because that mighty God cares for us. How do we worship? With honest humility. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen.